from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. Y'all ready for this? So And welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I'm Eric S. Piotrowski, a writer and educator in Wisconsin, USA. I'm known as Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, but also Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo on Steam, uh, a.k.a. Scartol in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Saturday, the, what is it, this 18th of March, 2017. On this show, I bring you a range of news stories, historical and literary perspectives, and my opinions on topics like current events, war, human rights, economic economics, education, hip-hop music, and killer robots. So buckle up and let's get started. A little bit better than dope is a brand new kid to show biz. With knowledge I persevere, but find out do me a favor. favor. Let me in here. we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the bass with a taste so I know I did a show last week, and people are probably like, what the heck is this? There's another show this week. What's going on? Well, don't get used to it, people. It just so happened that things worked out, and I was able to do an interview with a really good friend of mine named Mala, and we went to New College together and did a lot of activism back in the day, and now she's a communist. She's actually living on a commune of sorts called Twin Oaks, the intentional village and uh, intentional community, I guess. Anyway, so it's a really good conversation. I really like talking with her, and it's been like 15 years since I had chatted with her, so uh, we had a lot to catch up on, but it's a really good conversation. We go all over the place, as always. I'll be back sooner or later with some news updates and things. Uh, I found Kate Tempest. Thank you to Chopper Kelly for sharing Kate Tempest with me because she's awesome. And uh, yeah, everybody who... Uh, listens, thank you so much. Get in touch, people. ESP at fbesp.org, or you can uh, tweet me at Duke Scath. Enjoy the interview. All right, so I am here with Mala Goshal, and I am so happy because it's been a long time since we've talked. It's over 15 years now. Um, Mala is a, uh, I don't, I guess, okay, so Mala's been a lifelong activist. I met her at New College. I think I met you my first, either my first night or my first week at New College. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and um, one of the things that I quickly realized was that okay so yeah Mala is intelligent she's fun to be around but she, I also realized that very early on that she was committed to activism and trying to make things better in the world and um, that often took the form of these things called the women's tea and other feminist projects at New College which were designed to raise consciousness and engage in open discussion and discourse about a lot of things and after New College Mala moved to a place called Twin Oaks which is some sort of hippie religious cult compound I understand exactly yeah. yeah i'm just kidding folks uh it's actually an intentional community in rural central virginia made up of around 90 adult members and 15 children this is from their website uh, since the community's beginning in 1967 their way of life has reflected values of cooperation sharing nonviolence, equality and ecology now i want to tell my listeners a little bit about twin oaks you know what no i won't i'll ask you to tell the <laughs> listeners a little bit about twin oaks why did you move there what is twin oaks Great. Uh, so, so Twin Oaks is, is one of the sort of few remaining 60s communes, um, and we are about to have a big celebration this summer of uh, Twin Oaks' 50th anniversary since it was founded in 1967. Um, and we're, we're pretty much sort of what one might imagine when you think of a classic 60s commune in a lot of ways, where 
a, a big farm. We have uh, 465 acres and it's about a hundred of us living here um, in a bunch of different houses. Uh, every member has a room of their own. Um, but, you know, apart from that, we share sort of pretty much everything else. Uh, we share all our finances. We share all our cars. Uh, we, we share our meals. Uh, we have a big dining hall where, uh, you know, people cook uh, lunch and dinner every day. Uh, we share our businesses. Um, we, we earn income by uh, making and selling hammocks, making and selling tofu, um, uh, growing and selling uh, heirloom seeds, um, growing and selling uh, ornamental flowers, uh, doing book indexing. So you know, a bunch of different businesses, but all the money from all the businesses goes into one common pot. And uh, out of that, we pay for uh, all of our necessities. You know, every member's, uh, you know, food, clothing, healthcare, um, all of our, all of our infrastructure, our buildings, our, our cars. Um, so you're actually communists. We actually are communists. Yes. Yeah, so, so right, you know, two hours from DC, there's, there's a one of the, the lingering uh, communist places in, in in the world is, is two hours outside of Washington, So people are not wrong when they talk about the threat of communism coming into America. You're just two hours out of D.C. <laughs> we're, we're, we're right here. Yeah, yeah we've oh been here goodness. for the last 50 years. How yeah. big do you think the file is on Twin Oaks in the FBI? Oh, you know, we, we got it at one point through the, the, the Freedom of Information Act. We, nice. we, the Twin Oaks was actually under, I think it was FBI surveillance for wow. at least a decade. Um and so under the Freedom of Information Act, you know, you are allowed to request documents and you have to be given them, yeah. but they're allowed to redact as much as they want. So in the archives, we have this bizarre document. It's about 100 pages and 90% of it is blacked out. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's insane. Well, from what's left, what we can tell is that for, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of 10 years, you know, in the 70s, uh, FBI agents would come out to Twin Oaks occasionally um, you know, come as for a tour. You know, we we do we do do tours uh, every Saturday, yeah. and so you know they would come on a tour, that sort of thing. And you know, they were just keeping an eye on us. I think this and could be I a think... good place for the next stage of MK Ultra. Are you familiar what, with MK is, Ultra at all? What is MK Ultra? MK Ultra was a government program that involved getting. Uh, hiring prostitutes to have sex with men who are like on huge amounts of LSD and coked up and seeing if like their brain functions acted differently. And um, if you, if sleep deprivation would cause people to go insane, it was one of the most horrifying government programs ever. And some people like committed suicide because they were so freaked out with all the drugs they were on. And it was just a nightmare. Wow. Wow. Hopefully they're um, not yeah. engaged in any of Fortunately, that. Fortunately, right. I don't think they tried that here. Fortunately. Oh, but how would you know, man? They're really good. Right? Jet fuel can't yeah, burn yeah. steel beams, man. I mean, we still have sort of this running joke of, you know, sometimes when somebody shows up in a visitor group and they're sort of like unusually straight acting and straight seeming, you know, yeah, we're kind of yeah. like, all right, is that one a narc? Or, <laughs> or, you know, sometimes when it's the other way, when it's somebody who seems like they're like such a stereotype of a hippie, you know, yeah, that right, it's right. like we think they might be acting. <laughs> um, this is some think, groovy think... stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> But I think mostly, probably, you know, the FBI decided after a while that, you know, 
the hundred of us here are pretty harmless. Yeah, there you go. So I'm 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 interested in talking with you as I did with Soph about like all sorts of different things and in that conversation, uh, we kind of bounced back and forth between, you know, like her childhood, my childhood, you know. And and so I'd like to start, if you don't mind, with like I mean, we've already started talking about Twin Oaks, but why don't you tell me a little bit about like how you came into a sense of political consciousness and where that came from in your sort of formative years? Sure, yeah. Um I, I know exactly where it came from. I think it was very deliberately instilled by my mom and that she was very successful in doing this with uh, myself and my three siblings. Um, I think my mom had been pretty politically active uh, before she got married and had kids. Uh, and then, you know, kind of mostly put that to the side while she was raising four of us. As you can imagine, you know, raising four kids, you don't have a whole lot of time to do activism. Um, But I think, you know, it it sort of shifted like all that energy that she had been putting into social justice activism, you know, instead turned to sort of making sure that she raised her kids with, with social justice as, you know, a really strong value. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she, you know, raised us on stories of, you know, her, her time as an activist on stories about her, you know, burning her kids draft card or her friends draft cards and, um, doing time in jail for protesting the Vietnam War and uh, going down to Mississippi to help sharecroppers register to vote. Um, you know, she did some time of, of living uh, in, in community settings. Um, and so, you know, talking just, you know, those were sort of the bedtime stories we were raised on. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, seeing my siblings and me and, and seeing, you know, how effective her, her teaching was, you know, in terms of, you know, here I am, you know, living at, at Twin Oaks. Uh, She's uh, like, I'm sister. so proud of you. Like, I can't believe you've done this. <laughs> and and uh, my, my sister lives in Nairobi, and she works for Human Rights Watch, uh, oh, mostly awesome. on gay rights in Africa. Wow. Um, uh, my brother Raj is a sociology professor and uh, does most of his work about race and class and, mm-hmm. and uh, sort of racial injustice and mm-hmm. struggles for racial equality. Um my youngest brother, uh, Ronu, uh, lives in California and uh, has done a whole lot of music. Um, and a lot of his music, a lot of his music is about political issues. Right. It would be great um, if there was one of you that like went to Wall Street and it was just like, "Damn, <laughs> bastard!" Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, no, she had a pretty much 100% success rate. There you go. So she replicated yeah. herself fourfold. Four and times. So, yeah. 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 Exactly. And 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 what's cool now is you know she. Right when she was raising the four of us, you know, she was doing, I mean, she always did some activist stuff, but less of it, you know, when she was raising four of us. Mm-hmm. And now that we're all grown and out of the house, she's pretty much gone back to being, you know, kind of a full-time activist. She's uh, the president of the board of her uh, Unitarian church. And nice. sort of the main thing that her church does is is anti-racist activism. Nice. Um, so that's that's very cool. That yeah. Where is she? Back to that. Where, where did, where in, is uh, in, the, in the Chicago suburbs. Okay, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah. when you were in, for instance, high school, like, were you engaged in activities? Were you involved with protests of any kind? Not not very much. You know, I was in the suburbs and there really wasn't a whole lot going on there. Right. Um, you know, I think when I was younger, my mom was involved with League of Women Voters and used to take me to those meetings. And, you know, I, I, I didn't particularly pay attention. You know, I would just bring my book to read. But, you know, I kind of remember it being a thing kind of going nerd, on around me. Nerd reading um, books. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, right. I think in high school, let's see. The first like politically active thing I remember being involved with was uh, 
a, a friend and I did wind up you know, going down into the city to volunteer for uh, Carol Mosley Brown, who is oh, a, right. a Democratic black, you know, female uh, candidate. Um, and, you know, calling up people to, you know, get out the vote and stuff like that. Sure. And then why did you choose New College? Let's see. I knew I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school and, uh, um, you know, I kind of wanted to find like-minded people, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the, like in my, in my high school, you know, I had my siblings and I had my best friend and, you know, apart from that, you know, didn't feel like I, you know, really connected with a lot of other people or sort of yeah. that other people got me or sort of shared my interests. And, right. um, so, you know, I, I, I was sort of aware that small liberal arts schools existed and that's where the weirdos were. And, uh, <laughs> and you were right. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then, you know, most of them, you know, most small liberal arts schools are crazy expensive. And uh, and then I found New College and was sort of amazed, like, you know, it was a small liberal arts school that seemed even weirder than the other ones I'd been looking at, you know, Swarthmore and Oberlin and things like that. And, you know, we could actually afford it. And I was like, this is great. You know, this is a win-win. I said, found my people sure. and I felt like that sort of from the moment I arrived at New College but right, I right. Sort of found there, my tribe. Were know. there things that surprised you about New College? I mean really just how exactly it was what I wanted mm-hmm. you know yeah I, I, I felt just this amazing sense of homecoming of you know here here are the weirdos and, right. and and I thought I thought it was interesting how for some people it seemed like that was that was a little bit hard you know I think almost all of us coming to New College like had been the smart weird one in our right. high school and then you know i think for some people it was like very sort of disorienting and kind of identity challenging like right. oh I wait was... now i'm surrounded by you know, right. I was gonna say, people. If, yeah if you've built your identity as i certainly did on right, right. on not fitting See? in then the fact that yeah. you suddenly fit in is hard right. to understand and deal with so yeah and i remember being sort of impressed by the lengths to which some people would go to you know to be like <laughs> No, but I'm smarter and weirder, really. <laughs> right. I'm still the smart, weird one. Like, I think about the people, like the goth people, you know, who would wear, like, head-to-toe black and trench coats and, you know, 90-degree right. heat. And it's like, wow, that's right. that's dedication. <laughs> and wow. I think it, it seems to me that some of that is the wrestling with the ego, the need mm-hmm. for individuals to say, okay, wait a minute, I've had to build this identity over and against right. everything that's been coming at me in my whole life. And now the right. question has to be, what what's actually there beneath that surface? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it was just such a relief. And, and I think since then I've, I've always gone where the weirdos are, you know, after new college, before I moved here, I lived in Berkeley for a couple of years. And okay. So tell me about that. You, in new college, you majored in. Oh, uh, literature and gender studies. Okay. That's what I thought. And, um, what so before we get to Berkeley though? What would you say? Like, uh, were there certain things that you were involved in a new college that you look back on as being the most important things you did? Oh gosh, I mean, so much. Uh, you know, I feel like it was like I, you know, I kind of had these like vague. I mean, I mean, I had the the values that had been instilled in me by my mom, but right. you know, in terms of I don't know, sort of systemic critique or you know, just sort of like a wider understanding of, of politics and what anybody could do about it. Like, right. I, you know, I feel like 
I didn't really have much before I got to, to New College. Because that was, um, sorry, that was one of the things I think for me that was most important was having mm-hmm. to reconcile, you know, like I felt like in high school, one of the things I could do was take people who knew, I, in my view, knew very mm-hmm. little about how the world actually worked. And I could be like, look, people, here's how the world works. But I felt like once we got to New College, it was like a lot of people already knew those basic things. So then the question is, okay, how do you activate people? How do you get them involved in a way that goes beyond yeah. just, oh, everything sucks? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a big thing for me. And, well, and I think also, you know, just the figuring out how things work. I mean, I think of you as being very important for me at New College that way in terms of I think of you as somebody who, like, tasked me books like, uh, uh, you know, like Milton Chomsky and, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember the names. There were these series of, you know, little, like, short, you know, very incisive political books. But sure, sure. I think you were the one who, who passed them to me. Let's say yes, because um, that feeds my ego. So, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. I was very helpful um, to people. Yeah. And, and, you know, just these books that, that it, you know, reading them, oh, it's sort of like these scales falling from my eyes. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, you know, these are the systems of, you know, just in terms of capitalism and militarism. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then, you know, actually reading Marx, too, was, was really important for me, you know, just really understanding the, the relationships of capitalism. Right. Um, and then seeing all of that and being like, I don't want any of this. But then also feeling like, you know, just no saying was a dead end, like that I didn't want to build a life, that I couldn't build a life around just being like, capitalism sucks, patriarchy (laughs) sucks, militarism sucks, you know, that there had to be some like, finding something to say yes to. Um, And at at a really good time, you know, right at that time when I was like, what is the thing that I can say yes to? Uh, I read a science fiction book called Woman on the Edge of Time by was, Marge Piercy. I was just going to mention that, that you had passed me that book, and that was okay, a right, book that yeah. changed my life as well. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. And so, you know, and the, the book, you know, depicts the, this, you know, sort of near future uh, utopia. Um, and, and I loved it. You know, I, I, I guess I'd, I'd been, you know, for a while reading a lot of uh, utopian science fiction, and that's what I wound up writing my thesis on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of the various different utopian utopias I'd seen depicted it was the one that seemed like most plausible and desirable and you know it's kind of like I want to live in this society and so you know my mission is to find what I can find that already exists that's close that's the closest to this fictional society and started looking and that's how I found Twin Oaks and really how I wound up here yeah and I remember you know like I said in the intro one of the things that I think was most useful for me you know the so the clothesline project i remember at new college was very important oh, yeah, that was yeah. a great public display of yeah. you know consciousness um the yeah. women's tea i thought was always very interesting because there were always really good discussions yeah. at that um are there other sort of events or activities that you were involved in well I, re- I remember us I, I think you were probably part of this you know getting a little bit involved in like uh anti-police brutality stuff yeah uh, I mean, in a way, this is one of the things that's so depressing in terms of how little has changed. Because right. you know, I remember when we were at New College, you know, the cops, you know, shot some black teenager in I think it was in St. Petersburg. In St. Petersburg, and, his name was Tyron and, Lewis. Yeah, that was 1998. Yeah, you know, and 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 so there was a group of us that was going to you know protest there about that, and you know, it seemed like you know so shocking and such a big deal. Right. And you know, and so I think that was definitely important for me in terms of you know raising awareness about race stuff. Sure. And then it's just, you know, when all this stuff has been going on in the last couple of years, it's been sort of discouraging of like, oh my gosh, you know, we thought that this was so awful, you know, 20 years ago and, you know, nothing's changed. Although, I mean, I do, I mean, I guess the level of outcry. Right. And the organization of the response, I think that, you know, whereas, yeah, after, you know, um, 
Rodney King, there was a riot. After Tyron Lewis, there was a riot. And, you know, that's why it's funny to me when people talk about, yeah, you know, after Freddie Gray in Baltimore, people were like, oh, they were rioting. I'm like, that's not really a riot, dude. Like, three places got trashed, and that's – I don't think three counts as a riot. I think you need five places being trashed in order for it to really be a riot. Um, so, like I said, the women's tea, I think, was important. Did you start that up, yeah. or was it something you inherited? Oh, no, no, it was already going – yeah, I mean, that, that was the cool thing, too, in terms of – right, I think the thing – I, the, the activism I was most involved in at New College was feminist activism, and partly it was because I came into this sort of great infrastructure of, you know, when I got there, there right. I think I, I did host women's tea uh, right. sometimes, but but it was already happening when mm-hmm. I, when I got there, being hosted by, sure. you know, women who were a couple of years older than I was, and mm-hmm. and I feel like there were a lot of things like that, of sort of, um, you know, you know various feminist things that that. There was there was good continuity, you know. It seemed like there was sort of this line of, you know, older new college feminists sort of handing off, you know, projects and ideas to to younger new college right. feminists that I really appreciated. Yeah, and that was one of the things I always thought was important that that I would love to have seen in other realms. And you know, I started mm-hmm. that group in sort of my last year working on real designs or whatever and the idea was yeah you know like we have all these people who are interested in doing stuff but so much Mm -hmm. of I thought what happened at New College and I think what happens probably a lot on social media in fact I know it happens a lot is that people you know will spend a lot of time sort of writing about stuff or theorizing about it or fuming about it and not as much Mm -hmm. time taking concrete action to try to create a change in small ways and big right yeah and I think you know with the feminist stuff at New College a lot of it was just sort of like consciousness raising and so that was a very cool thing that could sort of be passed down from, you know, older students to younger students of, you know, like, let's just talk about our lives and then think about what's going on systemically here. And, you know, definitely for me, you know, and I think for all of us at Women's Key, you know, men and women, there are a lot of those moments of like, oh, wow, like this thing actually is a systemic thing. You know, it's not just random. It's not coincidental, you know, whatever it was we were talking about at the moment. And I I know you probably don't live as much online as the average, you know, industrial you know, capitalist 21st century zombified cell phone user does. <laughs> but I wonder if you have any thoughts about how well that consciousness raising model has transformed itself into the sort of cybersphere, or if it's instead, I mean, because, you know, we hear a lot about echo chambers and people kind mm-hmm. of, you know, just, just surrounding themselves with bubbles in terms of their ideologies and whatnot. But it seems, I know for a fact that it's, I think it's possible for, I think this show, if nothing else, has helped me to reach out to people who don't all agree immediately with what I say, but can help them to understand where I'm coming from. And, you know, they can hear from Soph if they haven't already heard what she has to say. And they can hear from someone who actually is a communist. Um, right. And, and, and so I, but I wonder if you have any thoughts about how that consciousness raising has transferred into the cyber world. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. That, you know, I spend less time online than I think a lot of people do. And, you know, my engagements online are pretty limited. Like I, you know, basically, I do email and I do Facebook and, right. you know, oh, I, I use uh, Wikipedia a lot, I there guess. Um, but, you know, in terms of, like, I'm not part of any kind of, like, online communities the way a, a lot of people are, you know, apart right. from, from right. Facebook. When you say um, Wikipedia, sorry, do, do you edit or do you mostly, like, use Oh, it no, no, just, I'm, you know, I just probably look something up on there every right. day. You oh, know, I sure. just, I, I, you know, I, I'm a nerd. I love information. I love the idea of, like, 
you know, any kind of information I want, I can right. find something, you know, really quickly. So. The reason I ask is because yeah. actually I've done a lot of work on editing Wikipedia. I've written like 13, oh, cool. feature, 13 featured articles. Yeah. And like, oh, it, awesome. it's, it's been a way of meeting people. There, there is a social element to it. In fact, mm-hmm. that has allowed me to meet some really remarkable people who, uh, we bond because of the work, you know? So like right, a right. lot of the work I've done is on Honoré de Balzac in 19th century French literature, but I've also <laughs> done stuff about, you know, like, yeah, Emmeline Pankhurst, the suffragette and, and Chinua Achebe uh-huh. and, and, and done copy edits for people. And that's just been a great way to learn about things as I help contribute to the project. So anyway, mm-hmm. I think that's a good example of how social media and I mean, the internet in general can help to build community rather than just take away from it. So anyway, yeah. sorry, I think I and, cut you off. And I mean, you know, with Facebook, you know, I definitely do see the echo chamber effect of, you know, like the people who are posting things are, you know, mostly people who, who, whose posts I read are people who generally believe the same things I do, you know, so, so there's definitely that, um, you, you know, but I, I guess the, I do still see some consciousness raising, like it, it is helpful for me to read, you know, my, my friends who have different experiences than I do, you know, in terms of like, mm-hmm. you know, for example, self being Muslim, right. you know, or friends who, who, who are black or friends who are trans, um, you know, and just getting these like little snippets of their firsthand experience, um, you know, I think is, is useful, you know, just in terms of like getting more chances to see the world through somebody else's perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of how, you know, my social life is structured and how I filter who I'm in touch with, I don't get those snippets from, you know, the point of view of a Trump voter or something, which. Oh, wait, I would have thought there would be a number of Trump voters living at Twin Oaks. What? I would have thought there would be Trump voters at Twin Oaks. Are there not a lot of Trump supporters there? (laughs) We 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 actually have one. You know how at New College there always was like the one like you know high profile Republican like the person who you know it's like before we had really had the word or concept of troll, but the behavior <laughs> existed already. Oh yeah. You know the person who just like thrives on opposition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So so, so, it, so we have it, a troll. Is that who, so? Who, is that person actually like? Did they vote for Trump? Uh, uh, he did, but you know I think mostly to have something to. You know, you don't necessarily love everyone you live with, even when you live with 100. percent I just this, can't like, imagine the idea of yeah, like living at a place like Twin Oaks and also voting for Donald Trump. That just blows my mind. Well, well, well but I think you know, like just the analogy is, you know, how there always was like the one new college Republican. You know, I but think I, like but there's I never a certain that, personality. Sorry, I never, yeah, I never type, thought that but, that person was ungenuine with their Republicanness. Uh huh. I don't know. Maybe I was naive. You thought they were ungenuine? No, I thought they. I thought they were genuine. I thought they actually oh, okay, right. believed their republicanism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and right. You know, with this person, you know, like it seems more like it. You know, the whole you know Trump thing is is just to sort of get attention and piss people off. You okay, know, than like actually being into him. But I don't know. I, I have right. I, I've been attempting to try to not be trolled, so <laughs> I have not actually. And of course, yeah, the, the motto is don't feed the trolls. So yeah, you're just like, okay, I'm, yeah, not, I'm no. not engaging with that. Sure. Um, so yeah, then after new college, you went to Berkeley, you said, and aside mm-hmm. from the fact that Julie Allen was on her way there or living there already, why, why Berkeley? Oh, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, my new college friends had already moved out there. So, okay. I, I mean, I guess mostly, uh, Julie and Ezra and Cynthia, okay. uh, you know, who had graduated before me and, and moved out there. And so I moved out and moved in with them. Nice. Um, and then there was this whole community of, you know, there, there's, I don't know if, if you ever, ever hearing the story, but there was, a, we, we threw a party when Ezra and Cynthia and I were all living together. Uh, and there were 
80 new college alums at wow. that party. That doesn't surprise me too much that a lot of new college people end up in Berkeley, <laughs> yeah. but still, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a pretty surprising Yeah, it, 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 right, it made perfect sense that right, so many people went from, from new college to the right. Bay Area. Go ahead. Oh, and, and the Bay Area was a great place to, to be involved in activism and sort of learn more about different kinds of activism. Um, and that was you know, one of the main things I did there. And uh, sort of the two things I, I mostly did there were uh, sort of as my like serious thing, uh, anti-prison activism. Mm-hmm. And then as sort of like, you know, something that was sort of like lighter to be kind of relieved from that uh, pro-bike activism. Oh, nice. So the prison stuff, was that with critical resistance? I know that's one of the groups. Yeah, that, that was actually how I got involved with it, and, and it was actually thanks to my sister, who'd gotten involved in anti-prison activism in uh, college, and she told me about the critical resistance conference that was happening at Berkeley, nice. um, and up to that point, I had had you know, no involvement with you know, prison stuff whatsoever, um, and I went to this conference, and it was just like, oh my God, you know, this, this is really important, um, and so I got involved with a group that... that was based actually just a couple blocks from where I was living, uh, called Prison Activist Resource Center. Um, Excellent. So for those who, you know, let's, I'm imagining some of my listeners might be like, what? You're against prisons. What the heck, man? People, you want to let murderers <laughs> out of prison? What the heck? So can you give us the sort of elevator pitch in terms of what pri- anti-prison activism means? Yeah. I mean, I mean, one, this feels good in terms of, I feel like this, we, was not sort of a front page news story, you know, when we were doing this activism 20 years ago and increasingly, you know, has become sort of like mainstream publication, front page news story. It's just, you know, the, the incarceration state in the U S the insanity of, you know, how we keep a higher percentage of our people behind Mm -hmm. bars than, you know, any other country in the world and, and the race implications of it, you know, that the, how it sort of replaced slavery as, as a way of, of keeping, uh, black Americans controlled. Right. Um, uh, we had the whole idea of, of private prisons or uh, of, of businesses in prisons, of people making money off keeping people in prison and therefore having all this incentive to cut corners and do it as cheaply as possible and, you know, to extract labor from people while they're in prison, which is, you know, is really just another form of slavery. Sure. Um, yeah, so, so so all of that. And, and, you know, just also feeling strongly that, you know, most people whatever they did that caused them to wind up in prison, being in prison is not going to make anything better, you know, and they're going to eventually be released in much worse state than they went in in the first place. Sure. I remember hearing about Norway having no prison sentence longer than 20 years, and their prisons are obviously incredibly different from our prisons. Right, yeah. And yet they have the lowest murder rate in the world, so... Right, right. Maybe that there's something, and and I guess also, of course, being you know sort of like anti the drug war, and you know just you know how awful it is that you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of nonviolent offenders being locked up for years. Right, right. Sure. Um, and then uh, you said the bike activism was that with uh, not critical resistance, uh, mass. Yeah, that was critical mass, right? Right. Right. Critical resistance and critical mass. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so, and, you know, just really, really again, fun. I mean, both both doing, you know, sort of these really fun mass rides and then also sort of, you know, meetings about, you know, how we could get more bike lanes and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. That mm-hmm. sort of like zoning approach, sure. too. And when you say mass rides, I you know, I've seen some of them here. What is the purpose of a mass ride? I, I mean, probably just fun, but but also, you know, bike visibility. Um, 
you know, sort of making the point that, like, bikes are important vehicles, that, you know, we should have bike lanes, that motorists, you know, need to watch out for bikes. Um, but a lot of it really was just fun. So, sure. yeah, there was a period where I was riding uh, three different critical masses every month because uh, each one happened once a month. So I'd ride the big San Francisco, like everybody won. Uh, and then there was, let's see, I'm trying to remember, what was the other one? But I think there was an Oakland one. And then there was an East Bay all women's one, and okay. so nice. that was sort of like you know one of my weekend social activities. Yeah, yeah. How many people you know, usually on. came out for those? I mean, I mean, the San Francisco one was often huge. You know, it was, gosh, I mean, this is so long ago. I'm trying to remember, but you know, probably like between 100 and 500 people. Wow. Um, whereas the East Bay ones, you know, much smaller. You know, maybe you know, 20, sure. 30, 40 sure. people. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all, it, it all felt you know. There was definitely this great sense of power in terms of the uh, size, you know, in terms of just being able to bike in this giant throng of people and kind of take over the streets. Yeah, totally. And so had you thought to yourself, okay, I'll spend a few years in Berkeley and then head over to Twin Oaks, or was it just sort of play it by ear? Yeah, more kind of playing it by ear. You know, I, I right. So I visited Twin Oaks for the first time when I was still at New College, uh, when I was 19, uh, and I came here for... Uh, for a January and did an independent study project. You know, mm-hmm. that was basically, it was a John Moore independent study project. So it's hard to believe John Moore would journal. sponsor something like that. He, he seems very selective about what he sponsored. <laughs> yeah. Attention yeah, non-New College to, listeners. Really into it. Yeah, John Moore, for those who didn't go to New College, John Moore was the professor who would sponsor anything. And he sponsored one of my <laughs> novel, um, I guess my thesis at the end of the process but anyway i digress and i think you know he's wound up being involved with some sort of community too i mean he was i mean i guess it wasn't it was one of the less random things he uh sponsored in terms of you know he and his wife olga uh, have some sort of community now in in north carolina i think called high cove and i I haven't been there and i haven't really been in touch with them but yeah it seems like they are doing some sort of community thing so yeah um, so you had visited when uh, you were at New College, and so you thought, oh, okay, oh, right. eventually so I'm going to so end I'd up come, living here. So sort of, yeah. So I'd come here when I was 19 and was intrigued, you know, and sort of thought, you know, I'm not looking to settle down yet. But, you know, I could see this being a possibility, you know, when I am interested in settling down. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, uh, you know, I wanted to try out the living and working in a city thing. Like, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. You know, New College was in Sarasota, sort of like small city. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I wanted to, to have a go at, uh, you know, living and working in, in a bigger city uh, and, uh, you know, got that with the Bay Area and had had a great two years there, um, but also just found sort of the anonymity and sort of the, the pace kind of exhausting and overstimulating. Um, sure, sure. I think Ezra and I both kind of had this experience of like at New College, it was very easy to be like big fish in a very small pond, you know, right. very easy to feel, you know, sort of important and special there. Uh, and then, you know, we got out to the Bay Area and, you know, I was kind of like, all right, I'm a musician. Here I am. And I was like, I'm an activist. Here I am. And the Bay Area was kind of like, yeah, you know, we've got like thousands of musicians and activists. Like, oh, great. an activist. We've never seen um, one of you before. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, and the way we were living, I mean, it was, you know, sort of our own choice, but also sort of the city pace of, you know, for my for me, my life was you know I would I would get up, I would go to work. I, I just did sort of like random office jobs. I'd, mm-hmm. You know, work all day. You know, come home and then have to do all the like you know grocery shopping, cooking for yourself, kind of stuff you do if you don't live in community. Right. Um, 
and then go to a political meeting and, and then go out dancing, and, you know, like fall into bed at midnight, exhausted, like get up at six the next morning, like do it all over. Um, and, you know, it was really fun, but yeah, right. Sure. I, I couldn't really imagine sustaining that pace for, for more than two years. Yeah. I would um, say that, yeah, as, you know, as a teacher, one of the things that, <laughs> the first thing to go was that whole go out dancing thing for me. So that, at this <laughs> yeah. point, it's like Friday night, like really a movie. Oh God, must we? So that's how bad I've gotten at this point. But <laughs> right. so. so yeah, so, so after a couple of years there, you know, and I both felt like uh, we we were interested in moving somewhere, um, weren't sure where. And you know, for me, Twin Oaks was one of the possibilities. And so we spent uh, the year two thousand traveling. Uh, mostly separately, a little together. You're just kind of thinking about where we wanted to wind up, and and then this is where we wound up. Okay, so I guess we have to start talking about Twin Twin Oaks. I keep wanting to say Twin Peaks, <laughs> and it would be a very different experience if you were living in Twin Peaks because you'd be talking about coffee and cherry pie and stuff. But um, so what what was the first thing that struck you when you first visited in uh in when you were at New College? Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's funny, in a way, my very first impression was, was a little bit of a disappointment in that, I mean, I guess it was a little bit like going to the Bay Area the same way, um, you know, that I was like, this is so great, I'm going to a community, it's going to be a big, happy family, they're all going to be so excited to meet me, and, you know, kind of not quite getting the context at first. That, you know, hey, to we have we, a new have... person here, all right, <laughs> come on in, friend. Wait, we're... Whereas, you know, we have this visitor program and we have visitors, uh, you know, 11 months out of the year for three-week periods and, you know, five to 10 people in a visitor group. So, you know, there are 50 to 100 visitors coming through every year. Right. Um, and, and, you know, so so some members are, are very gregarious and, like, I mean, that, that's sort of how I feel now. I'm always right. excited to meet the new people coming through. But as you can imagine, a lot of people, you know, after, like, 50 to 100 visitors coming through every year for years. I was just kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure out who you are if you actually move here. <laughs> it's like the gorillas in the zoo can't get that excited when a new group of kids shows up in the morning like, uh, you're here to look at me, all right, now what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, 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 but I think that was kind of a good sort of reality adjustment of, you know, like, oh, okay, it's the community doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's not, when I when I was saying earlier, we're kind of like what you would imagine a '60s commune being like. I think that's true in terms of structure, but not sort of necessarily in terms of feeling. You know, we're Twinokers in general are not actually sort of like touchy feely hippie mm. types. Like you know, I think there's a thing about living so closely together that actually makes people kind of protective of their limited, you know, kind of privacy and personal space, and so. Uh, you know, I think to people showing up at first, we, we, you know, come across even as a little standoffish. And, and I think that was how I ex- experienced it from the other side when I first was here um, in a way that now makes sense to me, you know, that, that people need to preserve sort of some zone of, of, of privacy and personal right. space. And meanwhile, when you showed up for the first time, I'll bet there are a lot of people who are like, nobody's actually this happy and joyful in real life. She must be a <laughs> CIA informant. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think that that was probably what was going on. But when you say Twin Oaks isn't exactly like what people think of in terms of a hippie commune, I don't know. I think a lot of hippie communes had hipster Disney princess parties uh, at at their 
I noticed on the website y'all had a hipsty, hipster Disney princess party. So, Yeah, that, that, was, that was very confusing. I think I, I wound up not going to that party partly because I couldn't quite figure out what the, what the theme was or what was yeah, going right. on. Well, you put on hipster glasses and then you say, okay, I'm, yeah, Sleeping Beauty or whatever. So. Right, right. <laughs> so so let's get into the way that works. First of all, how big is this place? Are we talking, I mean, we obviously you said there's about 100 people, but are, is it like the size of a small village? Is it a bigger i mean you have land that's farmed and stuff yeah right right so so right so we own 465 acres uh which you know if you don't think in terms of farmland which i certainly never did before (laughs) i moved here it's you know hard to imagine what that would actually mean um i would say like if you take you know sort of from and we also it's kind of like new college actually in terms of there's continuous chunks of property and then there's some discontinuous chunks that we use just for farming sure. um, or one that's just sort of like a, a wilderness preserve. Um, but so if you took it all into account, you know, it's probably similar actually in size to New College. If you I was going to ask you to put it, it in New College terms, account. but there you go. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Um, and then, you know, there's like a lot of it is, is, you know, woods and, and sort of farmland. So, you know, in terms of the, the part that we're sort of like most concentrated on, um, would be sort of like if you imagine just uh, like the the east part of New College, like the um, you know before you cross over the highway. Right. Sorry, sure. I know that all, all of this won't make any sense to anybody who might be listening to this who's not from New College. Well, but, they don't matter. Uh, the people who went to New College yeah. are the number one most important group, <laughs> right. and a lot of the other people who listen. I got to be honest with you, they're in the United Kingdom and Ireland and stuff. So like. I mean, who knows what they have any familiarity with? They're like, oh, hectares right. to the village wall or whatever. Like, yes, <laughs> get me started on them. So. But but I guess I guess like if you imagine sort of a small college campus, you know, yeah, sure. sort of. And similar. and you mentioned yeah. the hammock making and the tofu uh, harvesting. Mm-hmm. Which of those are you? <laughs> I mean, because you don't have like so. Okay, well, I was telling a friend of mine this week. They said, mm-hmm. "What are you doing this weekend?" I'm like, "I get to talk to Mala." And they were like, "What's Twin Oaks?" And I told them about it, and they're like, "So what does she do for her career?" And I'm like, "Well, they don't really have careers." So explain. Oh yeah, the but, way but I could works. right in my, my my little introduction at first. Right, I didn't really explain how how uh, what we call our labor system, which is really. Uh, you just wake up in the morning and you go, I just don't feel like working. And you put your feet up <laughs> and that's the end of it, right? It's the tragedy of the comments. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, no, we're, so, so, right. Another way I think we're sort of different from what people often imagine a commune would be. And, and you know, some people who come through here are very surprised by this is we are very organized and structured and bureaucratic. And, you know, I think that's a big part of why Twin Oaks is here 50 years. Um, and so we have this, you know, a highly structured labor system that, you know, we don't really have any group religion, but I think kind of to the extent that we do have a group religion, it is our labor system. <laughs> um, and so, so the point of the labor system is for everybody to be able to contribute sort of more or less equally um, while doing a variety of things and, you know, mostly doing the things that they like best and are best at. You know, so there's sort of an expectation that, you know, okay, there's, there's certain things that, like, nobody is crazy about like doing dishes. So there's a few things that we just say, okay, everybody has to do their turn right. doing this thing. Sure. Um, but for the most part, you know, sort of the goal 
of the labor system is for people to, you know, mostly be able to do work that they enjoy and are good at. So, so um, and then I assume everybody gets what they require. And therefore, you might say that this organization functions in a way that says, you know, from each, according to their, I don't know, what would yeah, you say, yeah, ability? Oh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and we also talk a lot about that, that great line from Marx where he talks about how in his utopia, you know, a person could be, you know, a, a a fisherman in the morning and a farmer in the afternoon and a right. philosopher in the evening or whatever right, right. it is. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, so, so there's a lot of that of, you know, the idea of that it's not satisfying or natural for most people to do the same thing 40 hours a week. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, so sort of prizing the, the, the freedom of sort of movement from job to job and variety. Um, and one of the things that makes it work, uh, a, a guy who used to live here had this great saying where he said, there's a niche for every neurosis. <laughs> and, nice. You know, it, it's amazing how time after time after time we see that bear out of like, you know, the kind of work that like one person can't stand, you know, that's another person's favorite thing to do. And, right. you know, almost everything we need to do, like somebody likes to do it. Um, uh, so, so for me in terms of my work, uh, well, I guess I'm trying to think if I should explain the system more or, I guess I'll explain for from what I do and then sort of how it fits into yeah, the sure. system more. Um, so, so one of the things that that we do that is sort of radical is that we consider yeah, taking care of kids, including your own kids' work. Right. Um, and that's you know, one of the things I think is is feminist about Twin Oaks is, is you know, in 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 the regular world, if you have a kid, you know, you don't get any additional money for that kid. I mean, you just have to like work harder. Yeah, exactly. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What What do you expect? That the government's <laughs> just going to give you money? It reminds me of the Simpsons when when uh, uh, Bart has his uh, take your, or I guess Lisa has the take your child to work form, and Marge is reading it out and it says, uh, please note, homemaker is not a profession. That's why you don't get paid for it. It's like, why do they have to put that in a form? <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so, so, so one thing I, I really like here is that, that, you know, all domestic work, you know, in like, Childcare, cooking, cleaning, uh, shopping, uh, taking care of sick people, taking care of old people—like all of that—we count as work. Right. Um, uh, you know, all all the sort of traditional women's work. Um, sure. Sure. And right. So, so for me, a, a big part of my work, what I earn labor credits for doing, is, is you know, caring for and educating my two kids who right. who are eleven and uh, eight. Um, attention listeners, they're so cute. If you ever saw Nala's kids, <laughs> just melt because they're adorable. So anyway. um, and, and, you know, education is a whole other side track. So See, I, I was, I we'll get to education, their... don't worry. Yeah, oh yeah. Right. Hang on, listeners, just just settle down. <laughs> right, so, so, so I actually don't do most of their education. They have tutors for, for all their different subjects, but okay. I do, you know, sort of like homework and stuff with them. Right, right. Um, but anyway, okay, we can we can get into a whole education thing uh, yeah. in a minute. Um, so apart from taking care of them, the thing I do more hours doing anything else than doing anything else is, is working in our, our, we call it a garden, but probably anyone else would call it a farm. I'm not sure why we call it a garden. Because right. um, yeah, garden a sounds huge, nicer. It's, yeah. I, I guess so, yeah. So we have a huge organic vegetable garden, um, and, and we... Uh, we we pretty much well no that we we buy a tiny bit of produce but almost all of our produce we we grow ourselves, um, and so you know, during garden season yeah yeah I, I do several shifts every week of you know just whatever it is we're doing that particular day with the garden in terms of you know planting stuff weeding stuff harvesting stuff, um, 
So I do that. Uh, I'm the manager of our library. We've got 11,000 books uh, that are spread out through the different residences of, of the community. So, you know, one residence will have, you know, sort of the fiction section, and one will have the young adult, and one will have, I, I've Dewey decimalized it all. So one will have, you know, Dewey numbers, you know, 100 to 300. And, Sorry, um, you said you Dewey decimalized it, or they did? I, I, I did, yeah. You yeah. were the one who said, uh, this hippie commune needs the Dewey decimal system. That's awesome. That's such a mala perspective. Like, you know, this is great, but God damn it. I can't find anything. We're using Dewey decimal system. Too. Yeah. I get, and now it's, it's so great. Yeah. I, I can find any book because you know, we don't have a catalog or anything like that, but right. So wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You don't have a catalog. No, because, okay, this is, this is the great thing. It's because the, the, the library is one of these many things we have where the, the line between, communal and, and personal is deliberately totally permeable okay. so there's no checkout like the idea is that you all can't, of like the books own a book belong. man <laughs> like all of the books belong to all of us and what that means is that there, there's no checking it out anybody is free to take any book they want for however long they want keep it forever if they want leave with it if they want let me know uh-huh. if i'm becoming too much of a parody of myself but i just love the idea that someone's reading a book and someone else comes up and says that's mine now i'm reading this and it's like wait a minute i'm in the middle of that book <laughs> right right not like not yeah it doesn't exactly work like that it, it, right we'll, more we'll just get to that, that there's no attempt to to control anyone's use of, right, of the right. library sure. you, you don't have overdue notices and late fees and all the rest of it Right, right. The books just and, and this this is the other funny thing is is we used to buy books a long time ago, um, and then uh, we had we had sort of an austerity period some years ago where our income went down. It's, it's back sort of where it was before. But during that austerity period, um, we we stopped buying books, and then the amazing thing was the books just kept coming in, and we realized we didn't actually have to spend any money on acquiring books. It's part of like sort of living with like the surplus of late capitalism or something. Is <laughs> we like pretty much every member moves here with twice as many books as they decide they want to keep in their own room and they donate half of the books to the library. But are they good then, books or are you getting like Nicholas Sparks? Like you have 700 copies of Dear John and st- no, I'm just kidding. I can't imagine anybody moving. <laughs> Maybe you do have Nicholas Sparks. I don't I can't assume. Uh, well, we, that, we do have a couple of his books, but yeah, in terms of the things that show up over and over again, it's like Barbara Kingsolver, yeah. Tom Robbins, right. Salinger, sure. uh, a whole lot of Wicca stuff. Yeah. Um, you got a huge Marge Piercy yeah. section, I imagine. Just like, not another like, copy of Woman on the Edge of Time. Right. Get this out of here. We're using it for fertilizer now. <laughs> yeah, weirdly not so much of her, just because I think, you know, she's kind of obscure. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, but tons of Ursula Le Guin. Yeah, oh, all Ursula sure, Le Guin. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, so you know, members show up with books, uh, you know, friends, uh, neighbors, ex-members, just like drop by big boxes of books. Um, so, yeah, we just always have like, like my main job as librarian is getting rid of old books to make room to shelve the new books that are just constantly coming in. Right. Um, so, so that's nice. Um, great. So I do that. Uh, I do a little bit of, of tofu making. I do a weekly kitchen, kitchen clean shift. I do a lot of general sort of house cleaning, which I really appreciate being able to take labor credits for. Sure, sure. Um, right now I'm doing a job called labor hole monitor, which is it's my job to hassle people who aren't, uh, aren't consistently doing five oh five oh. Malas become one time. 
You're the man on the commune. Like, hey, get to work, yeah. lazy bum. Yeah. But, I mean, that does open the door to the other discussion that I wanted. I mean, one of seven I've mm-hmm. written down here. So, okay, there is obviously some sort of, you said there's a bureaucratic structure. Is there then right. a law enforcement structure? Is I mean, what happens if someone... I mean, you can't steal anything, obviously, but, you know, what? how, how do you deal with uh, um, violations against the community? Sure, yeah, and I mean, and you can steal, you know, in terms of people do have their, you know, they have their personal things. And, okay, and... so there is a, it, you're not totally communists. <laughs> right, 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 you have, you're right. People have their, their own personal things, okay. and, you know, if somebody, you know, were to go into somebody's room and take somebody, right. some, you know, something from somebody else, you know, that, that would be a problem. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see, I, well, I could talk a little bit about sort of how it works specifically with labor first and then with other more general things. Yeah, sure. Right, so... So the labor system, so we have this agreement that, that everybody is supposed to work what we call quota a week. And and we raise and lower quota, you know, sort of as we need to, depending on how many people we have and what we're doing. Um, but so for quite a while now, we've kept quota at 42 hours a week, um, which sounds like more than your average American work week, except, you know, then when you take into account that it includes cooking, cleaning, child care, you know, all that stuff that, that you know, even, you know, things like, you know, lawn maintenance and, you know, taking care of the towers and you know, right. uh, all the stuff that people just have to do right. regularly. And I think with all, the, not, with, yeah, with all the yeah. overtime that a lot of Americans are working these days, right. I don't know that 42 hours does seem like that much. A lot <laughs> right, of people yeah. will be like, man, I wish I only um, worked 42 hours a week. Right. So, yeah, so we all, you know, we have an agreement that, that we all work 42 hours a week. You know, we have a lot of flexibility in what jobs we work when. We have uh somebody doing a job that's called labor assigner, which means every week sort of figuring out what needs to happen and who's available to do what and sort of coordinating all the sure. jobs. Sure. Um, and then we all keep track of how much work we do in what areas. Um, and, and this is for a couple purposes, you know, one kind of uh, the sort of transparency with each other about what we're all doing, what we're right. spending our time doing and, uh, you know, sort of trying to figure out, how many hours we're putting into what and is that what we want to do? You know, so we're trying to prioritize putting work into the things that have to happen for the commune to function right. and, you know, less time into sort of like the, the, the bells and whistles, you know, but those are nice, you know, when we can, um, you know, stuff like we, we have uh, one area called holiday, which means, you know, organizing like parties and things mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is, it's great that we, you know, allow some labor credits for that. And, you know, we keep track because we want to make sure that people aren't spending more time organizing parties than they are making tofu because, you know, we actually need the tofu to to be able to buy anything to have the party. Buyers are at the doorstep (laughs) demanding their tofu. They don't care about your party. But you got to have parties because, you know, (laughs) if you can't dance in your revolution, I don't want to be part of it. Right, right, exactly. So, 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 right. So, so we make sure we have some dancing, but right, you know, we're sort of trying to, to, to keep it in balance. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we have these things called labor seats where we, we, we you know, schedule what we're going to do and then write down what we've done and, and turn them in and enter it all into a database. Right. Um, and the database is great, you know, just for being able to see, like, what are we spending our time on? Um, and, and then we also uh, accumulate what we call labor balances, right? So everyone's supposed to work 42 hours a week. 
But if you work more, use your bank it, and then you can take extra vacation. Everybody automatically gets three weeks of vacation a year, and then if you work more, you can bank those hours and take more vacation. Sure. Or you know, if you if you work less, you kind of like fall behind, and then you're expected to sort of make it up at some point. Right. Um, so so this job I'm doing right now, labor hole monitor, is sort of people who, you know, either go on a big trip and fall way behind, or uh, you know, are just sort of like consistently like not quite you know putting in the hours they should be they're bums go ahead and say it you got some bums (laughs) who live in the commune well well, the job starts with you know it's sort of a good cop bad cop job so it starts with going to them and being like hey you know it looks like for the last couple months you've been having trouble making quota like what's going on are you having health issues that are getting in the way are you having mental health issues are you having interpersonal problems and then, you know, we have all these, like, we have a health team, we have a, a mental health team, we have a mediation team, you know, and so kind of if somebody's like, oh, yeah, I haven't been able to work because I have this health problem and because I really can't get along with this other person that, you know, I need to work with to do this job, you know, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, you talk to the health team about your health thing, talk to the mediation team, you know, about this problem, right. and, you know, just try to work stuff out. Um, and if that doesn't work, then you and, have these orange jumpsuits, put this on, get over right, into the camp. Right. And, and and then, you know, there's sort of like an escalation of like, you know, okay, we do like the, the first round of like trying to trying to help. And, you know, mm-hmm. that seems like it's not working. You know, at some point the, the person has to put out a letter to the community explaining like what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, if it's still not working, you know, then we have like a whole big meeting where, you know, the person and, and every, you know, not the whole community comes, just whoever's interested right. comes and all talk about, you know, well, what what's going on and then it pretty much never gets beyond there like by that point usually people you know either sort of figure out their issues and get it together or decide that it's not working for them to be here so you don't have to kick people out and be like you know what like we so so we do actually have like a a whole expulsion process but you know it's only actually been carried through you know to the point of actually having an expulsion vote I think maybe once in the history of the community, wow, maybe a, twice, but before I was ever here. So right, in the right. the 16 years I've been here, you know, we've sort of started down that road a few times, and yeah. then, you know, somebody has always decided, you know, to move on of their own accord right, before right. we actually that, have to have. That's a, one of the a, things that's in right. That's one of the things that's in Woman on the Edge of Time is the fact mm-hmm. that they have you know one of the work units that goes into that community is patrolling on the front lines and, and serving mm-hmm. in that sort of military militia group that they have to protect their right. organization because they're under actual constant threat. And I think that right. when we talk about, yeah, you know, when we talk about like, you know, idyllic communities or utopias in the real world, so often they are, you know, if we talk about Spain before the civil war, this notion of, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, we can create these anarcho-syndicalist communes, but then the question is, how do they defend themselves against the active threat from a capitalist supremacy and hegemonic force that seeks to plow them over? And I suppose if you were to try to spread, then you might have more of a problem. But as it is, well, you know what's what's really interesting is we actually have been spreading successfully in this in, uh, on a very small scale, right? Okay. I think you know I think we're not under threat because mostly anybody who wouldn't like us doesn't even know about us. Right, um, right. But but we have actually been sort of budding in, in Louisa County here. So, mm-hmm. so you know, Twin Oaks started in 67. And then in 1994, Twin Oaks created an offshoot called Acorn mm-hmm. um, that's seven miles from here um, that has now grown to about 40 people. Uh, and then 
over sorry, the last been, several I'm sorry, years. I'm sorry to interrupt, but listeners, I hope you recognize the, the wordplay there because Twin Oaks and then Acorn, so it's like replicating <laughs> right. itself. Yeah. I just want to make sure people got that. Yeah. And, and, and then uh, over the last uh, three more small communities have, have sort of budded off from Twin Oaks and or oh. Acorn, um, all in Louisa County here. Um, and those ones are all still kind of pretty fledgling. Like they're all still, you know, mm, sort of three to six people. Sure. Um, and, you know, it's still, it's still pretty young. So it's, right. you know, not certain yet. You know, most communities that people start don't survive. Right. Um, sure. So, you know, they're all still kind of in the, the embryonic stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's pretty cool that that, oh, that, yeah. that we've we've flooded all, all these other communities, um, and you know, hopefully, at least some of the small ones will will grow and endure. Right. Yeah. And then, so in terms of like governmental structure, like who decides who gets to be the one who decides which work people do? Right. Yeah. So we we have sort of like all these different teams and and people serve on teams, you know, sort of a volunteer thing. Right. Um, and it counts as your, you know, one of your forms of work and you serve on teams, you know, for sort of limited periods of time. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, we have uh, a group called the econ team and a group called the labor team and then a group that only gets together once a year called the budgeting team. Mm-hmm. Um uh, that's sort of figuring out, you know, all these kind of things. And, and it's always with a lot of discussion with the whole community and sort of input from the whole community, a lot right. of you know, surveys and papers. And um, we, we have a group called the planners that's sort of like our, um, I, I guess sort of like city council or something mm-hmm. like that or board. And again, mm-hmm. it's, it's people, you know, who, who volunteer to serve and serve for limited terms, uh, three to five of them at a time. Right. Um, whose job is sort of like the anything that can't, that doesn't sort of fall neatly under the jurisdiction of one of the other teams right. there, you know, sort of the the final decision maker, except that any decision the planners make can be overruled by a petition signed by the majority of the community. Gotcha. Um, so it's sort of like a lot of, you know, checks and balances, uh, you know, making sure there's never there's never any one individual or sort of small number of individuals that have say over too many things for right. too long. So what you're saying is you don't need to have just one person in charge of everything. You can actually coordinate a society by having everybody play a part in that process. <laughs> right, Hard right, to believe. Exactly. I get, what the what? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, so to be less um, sarcastic about it, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that, you know, cause new college had a direct democracy student government, of course, And one of the things that I mentioned on last week's episode that I put out is that the town hall meetings that we had in order to make decisions about things took forever. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the first glimpse I ever had into understanding the appeal of fascism, because if you (laughs) if you want something decided, you need something to take place. Like democracy takes a long time. And I think that's why people do rally to someone who's charismatic and horrible and atrocious and rude to women and makes fun of handicapped people. I'm not talking about anybody in specific here. (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about how you relate to it as a human being who, you know, do you get annoyed with the pace of that sort of thing ever? Well, let's see. I, one thing we do that I think is very smart is we never make any decisions in whole community meetings. All right. Um, now you got my yeah, – so, I'm on board with that. 
Yeah, right. So, so that's, you know, that's like we've sort of carved everything up into, you know, all these different teams that are in charge of deciding all these different things. And, and in addition to the teams, there's also just what we call area managers. So every work area has, you know, so there's a garden manager, there's a tofu manager. Um, and so the idea is that most sort of day-to-day decisions can be made, you know, by the manager or the crew or the team that deals with a specific thing without right. needing, you know, the whole community to have a meeting about whether we should grow more beets or turnips this year, you know. <laughs> um, and, and then, you know, we do have community meetings for things that are sort of big or controversial or affect a lot of different things. But the idea is, you know, there's the meetings are sort of to share information, gather information, share points of view, and then it always goes back to, you know, a small crew or team right. that makes the actual decision. Sure. Yeah. Um, and in terms of like, you know, like law enforcement, yeah, I assume you're under the jurisdiction of the county and is there... Like... Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've, we've been very lucky in that we, we have very good uh, relations with, with, with the local police. This is a thing that uh, I think Twin Oakers were smart in terms of cultivating from the very beginning of, you know, right. kind of realizing that a lot of communes that started at the same time, you know, had a lot of trouble with you know, with neighbors and with cops and right. you know some so from the very beginning like Twin Oaks put a lot of effort into getting along well you know with the neighbors and and you know with the local cops and sure. you know avoiding doing anything that was going to call too much attention to the community you know upset the neighbors upset the cops um, so when you and, pay the cops you know, off when you pay the cops off do you give them cash or hammocks or tofu <laughs> Well, well, we give. I mean, we we give them votes. You know, it's the uh-huh. the the sheriff is an elected position, and we're the biggest vote. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Um, but but also, yeah, I think just over years, sort of like putting effort into to cultivating good relations. And um, a while ago, the, the sheriff was quoted in an article about Twin Oaks as saying, "You know, if everybody lives like they did at Twin Oaks, you know." I, I would be out of a job. Sheriff um, is a communist. Think, you hear that, Virginia? You got a communist <laughs> sheriff in your midst. So, uh, so that's nice. And, and you know, apart from that, like you know, we sort of have had we 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 have never, you know, at least in the time that I've lived here, uh, you know, had the cops you know sort of come after us in any way. Right. Um, we've occasionally sought their assistance, um, and you know, mostly. They haven't been incredibly helpful, not because I think they don't like us, but I think, you know, just maybe they're not. It's because 911 is a joke is why. What? It's because 911 is a joke is why. (laughs) Right, right. You know, sort of a thing like we've had a couple rounds of, not in a while, thank goodness, but a couple rounds of like bouts with sort of like local teenage thefts and vandals. Mm. and, and, uh, And, you know, in those situations, we have reported them to the cops and you know, haven't really gotten much revolt from them. But, yeah. you know, it seems like a trade-off that we're kind of like, we're, we're okay with living with. It's like, okay, they're not much help, but they don't give us any hassle. Right, so, sure, sure. Um, yeah. do you, does Twin Oaks file like one big tax return? Or how do you relate to well, federal taxes? Right, right. We all have individual tax returns. Okay. Um, and and, uh, and where it says three, spouses, somebody... you put 90 spouses? <laughs> Somebody, you know, this is one of these things with niche for every neurosis. We always have somebody who's really excited about filling in 90 tax forms, which is amazing. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, and it's some, if that person threatens to leave, you're like, no, you've got to stay. Yeah. 
but, but right, I've heard multiple people who do it be like, oh, it's really fun. It's one of my favorite kinds of work. So that's <laughs> crazy. Um, but, but so for most of us, the, the way we do it is like to come up with what our income is. We look at how much money the whole community made, you know, in the course of a year, uh, minus, you know, how much we spent and then divide it between everybody who lives here. And that's right. called our tax share. Sure. And you know, we don't actually get that money in cash in reality. You know, we get it in just living here. Um, but our tax share, you know, on paper is between four thousand and eight thousand dollars per person per year. So, so Eric, did I lose? Oh, you're you still no, back? No, I'm here. You? I'm just trying to process like your income is eight thousand a year. Like, what the heck? Are I you mean, on a good doing? year, right? It's more like six thousand. And, and 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 that's one of my favorite things about living here is the idea of I'm I'm living on about the same amount of your average global citizen. Yeah. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So in terms of just to return to the garden real quick, uh, my yeah. wife, Diane, is crazy into permaculture. And so I wonder if you have instituted permaculture practices there. I mean, the whole place is a big permaculture experiment, I suppose, in a way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, our actual our vegetable garden is not at all, you know, run along uh, permaculture principles. We've we've been experimenting a lot with with orchards. We've, we, you know, throughout the community, we have various different orchards and, uh, you know, some of them more than others sort of arranged by permaculture principles. Um, orchards are hard. Like it's, you know, it's one of these things that in the 16 years I've lived here, different people have managed different sections of them. Mm -hmm. I, I guess the, the perennial fruits, we get pretty good yields from, you know, uh, from, from blueberries and, and raspberries. Um, but all the fruit trees, like, you know, I think trying to raise fruit trees without using, you know, any kind of pesticides or anything like that. Like it's, we, it's it's disappointing how many fruit trees we have and how little fruit we right. get. Uh, right. So you know people are always tinkering and trying this thing and that thing. So so I have and a lot of these fruit trees are are relatively new. Like a lot of them have been plant, uh, planted since I've lived here. So right. you know I have hopes that maybe we have this abundant future down the line with with, with fruit trees. You know actual fruit growing on the fruit trees everywhere. Right. How, in terms of, like, relationships to the rest of, I mean, obviously you talked a little bit about the community in terms of physicality and you relating to your neighbors, but in terms of, like, the rest of the world, I mean, do y'all have cable? Do you have Netflix? Or do you go see movies in the theaters? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing that's changed a lot just in the time that I've lived here uh, is sort of the degree or lack thereof of cultural isolation. You know, I think when I first moved here, this was starting to change, but for people who moved here before I did there was much more of a sense of you know moving here was making this sort of radical change and kind of cutting yourself off from the outside world right. um and and then you know we, with the the internet you know every year that i've lived here it's felt sort of less and less like that you can't um, escape haha <laughs> you thought you were getting away no you will not <laughs> um and and you know and the spread of the internet you know when 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 i first had internet when i moved here you know had, we had a dial-up connection in one building and wow. you know now we all have internet in our rooms, although mm. it sort of goes on and off. Um, uh, but, but yeah, you know, with, or I don't, I shouldn't say all in everybody's room. Some people, you know, don't own personal computers, but most people do have right. computers or phones or tablets or, yeah. um, you know, so most of us do have internet in our rooms now. Sure. Um, yeah. So, so, and then in terms of sort of going off the farm into town, uh, you know, that varies a lot in terms of how often people do that. We, we have jobs that do require going into town pretty much every day. We have uh, a job called being uh, the tripper, 
Uh, so we send somebody to run errands for the community uh, to Louisa every day and then to Charlottesville three times a week and to Richmond once a week. Um, in addition to the tripper who is the one doing the job, doing the trip, people go in on all those trips, you know, just to do other things in, in town. Um, so some people, you know, go off the farm to town almost every day right. and other people almost never do. Uh, the record was the, there's a guy named Ajak who once went seven years without going to town. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I go to town probably once every three weeks or so. Sure. Uh, maybe maybe two, three weeks. So, and I think I'm probably about average for, right. for it to whatever that way. Sure, sure. Um, and then one of the things that I think a lot of people fail to recognize is that, I mean, I don't know. Let's. I guess I should ask first. Are you? Do you consider yourselves anarchists in some ways? I mean, you obviously have rules, but it's not as though right. there's a repressive state apparatus. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if you ask Twinokers if they identified as anarchists, maybe half or a third would say yes. Um, I mean, I think of myself as an anarchist, and and so I think of what we are doing as as I, I think of us as an anarchist community in terms of putting a lot of effort into avoiding any kind of fixed hierarchy. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the, sorry, the question I was leading to there then is, mm-hmm. you know, because I try to make my classroom as anarchist as possible, but obviously a public right. school classroom can only be so anarchist. But, but I think one of the things that's important for people to realize about anarchism is that it's cyclical. In other words, a lot of people think, okay, everybody is only ever motivated by the base, you know, money, fear of punishment, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore they see that everywhere around them. They operate that way. They train the people around them to think that way. They think that way Mm -hmm. and the cycle just keeps going. But it seems like your organization is a perfect example of how the exact opposite is also true in that if you treat people with a certain assumption of, you know, this is one of the principles on Wikipedia, actually, you assume good faith. You assume that people are doing things because they are they have you know good intentions and they have good hearts and they will do the right thing if they're given the tools and resources needed to get there and therefore right. you know you have a, a an awareness that blooms in them hopefully that you know what if i put good things out there good things will then follow yeah 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 i, I mean i think one thing we see here is like most people at least most people who wind up living here are sort of intrinsically motivated right. like people want to do stuff, you know, like, so for, for most people, you know, after you sort of carved out a work scene that works for you, you know, you're not working because you're worried about making your 42 hours. Like for the most part, making quota becomes a side effect of things you do because they need doing, because you, you know, because you like creating whatever it is you're creating or fixing whatever it is you're fixing or, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see that, you know, it seems like most people just do have, the sort of innate drive to, to do stuff. And it, right, it's very much not about, you know, oh, if I don't do this, I'm not going to get, you know, money or get right. food or, right. you know, it's about wanting to do stuff. And do you think that's something that resides in human beings in general? Or do you think that you're lucky that you get to live in a place where it, it attracts people who are inclined that way to begin with? And if you tried to do it elsewhere, it wouldn't be successful? I, I, I think people are like that. You know, I think that's like, you know, what the evolution of humans from apes was about was people just 
you know, these creatures that are sort of hardwired to be curious and motivated and, you know, want to mess with things, do things, make things. And, right. you know, I, I think babies are all, you know, start out motivated. And, you know, then I think, you know, for a lot of people, you know, the motivation gets sort of knocked out of you or suppressed, you know, one way or another. But, I think it but might have I something to do with the it's... years you spend between kindergarten and 12th grade. For some reason, <laughs> right, I think right, yeah, sitting yeah. in a desk all day and t- writing down what your teacher says might right. drive out some of that curiosity. <laughs> you know, right, right. Given that I'm talking to a teacher, I, was, I wasn't going to be the one to bring it up. <laughs> no, but it's true. And I think that's the thing that breaks my yeah. heart is that when I get this, you know, I'm, right. part, I'm in a system that has certain boundaries and I can't violate those. And I can't even put my desk in a circle for crying out loud because I don't have enough room so but it but it is the type of thing where okay again like I'll try to make it as anarchistic as possible but then what I end up with is what we saw at new college right there are some people who are going to during the month of January do nothing and then (laughs) you're left thinking okay you know, because I just got done having my uh, Creative Writing 2 students do an independent project for two and a half weeks. And I started out with, like, look, at New College, January, ISP, let's talk about it. So I have them create a proposal and, like, what do you want to do for this two weeks? And, like, there's always going to be some percentage who are, like, nothing. You know, they, they, they don't say they're going to do nothing, but that's the basics. That's the subtext. And, you know, there's this tension in my mind always of, okay, maybe I need to be hitting them on the head with a stick more. But on the other hand, I have other students who, when they get that freedom, they say they're going to write 10 pages. That Halfway through, they're like, I think it's going to be closer to 20. When the thing's done, they turn in 73 pages. <laughs> right, right. Right, and right, I guess New College ISP was a really good example of that. Of right, It seems like mostly people were not at all, you know, trying to sort of get away with the minimum. Like, right. you know, mostly, you know, people were like, this is great. Like, I have a month to, like, learn about something I'm interested in. Right. Cool, you know? Yeah. 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 And I just I, I, I struggle with that because I do think that, you know, especially by the time they get to me, they're 17, 18. Mm-hmm. They've been so yeah. trained in take the path of least resistance. It's not right. wrong if you don't get caught and that whole thing. And then it becomes yeah. this. You know, I have I have 18 weeks where I get to tell them, hey, people, look, there's other ways to live and be in the world. And for some of them, I think it is like, a, oh, my God, this person's saying what I've always been thinking. But for a lot of them, right, it's, yeah. Mr. Piotrowski is a sucker. I get to, you know, not do the work and still pass. And that's not right. really the way it works. But, you know, it's sort of I'm certainly right. I, I'm, I'm trying to be rigorous in a way that is anarchistic and that for a lot of people that just doesn't, you know, that doesn't right, compute. Right. So, I don't know. I'm just always interested in talking about that cyclical nature, yeah. because especially when, you know, a lot of educational structures are built around well you have to celebrate individuals you have to punish people and for me it's like no let's do neither of those let's make a caring community that supports everybody and everyone will benefit and people look at me like i got lobsters coming out of my ears (laughs) but whatever um Okay, so I'm trying to think of other things that I wanted to ask you. I guess the question uh, then of, you know, our present political predicament is the other thing that's kind of weighing on me. And I'm curious to know if your lives at Twin Oaks have qualitative, you know, did they change in during the Obama administration? Did they change dramatically? I mean, you know, do you feel effects of the president, the present presidential administration? Yeah, I mean, what, one very funny thing is is uh, we tend to have sort of an inverse effect in terms of the population, in terms of how well things are going or not outside right. of Twin Oaks. So we actually, shortly before the election, 
suffered through a period of low population. Hmm. Uh, you know, because people people come and go. You know, most people don't stay here for their whole lives. You know, right. so people move here, live here. You know, two years, five years, ten years. You know, and then most people, you know, at some point move somewhere else and do something else. Um, and you know, at, at times of sort of progressive outside political climate and good economy, people are much more likely to leave. Uh, the outside world's and, not so bad. I'm going to go live in the city. Right, Trump yeah, gets yeah. in office. Oh my so, God, where is there a commune I can live on? So, so yeah, so that's exactly where, right. So through, <laughs> you know, sort of like from spring of 2015 to fall of 2016, we had falling population and, you know, it, enough that it was sort of getting a little worrisome. Um, I mean, I mean, I guess I didn't worry a lot because, you know, I've looked at the, our, our population statistics and, you know, it just kind of goes through these cycles of, right. you know, higher population, lower population. Uh, but, you know, still, it's just harder to get, you know, the things that we've set out to do done with, with a smaller number of people and sure. higher turnover. Sorry, do you know um, what the smallest number you've ever had there is? Well, you know, I mean, of course, in the early days, it was very small. Right. Um, and then, you know, sort of stabilized in, gosh, I don't even know at, at what point, but I'd say between, for, for the last 20 years or so, uh, it's the lowest has been about 70 members gotcha. and, and the highest. Uh, at, at a couple points, we've made exceptions to our usual population capacity and squeezed extra people in. I think mm -hmm. 94 is the highest. Okay. So yeah, between 70 and 94 members, yeah. uh, adult members. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, sometimes those are mostly it's been more on, on the 90 side. Right. Um, and but yeah, we've gotten down to I think 79 uh, over the summer, uh, and then. Uh, but I guess the population started increasing before the election actually happened, so I don't know how much of it I can attribute to the election, but, you know, maybe just Trump becoming the nominee and people being like, oh, my God, what is happening with my country? <laughs> Moving anyway, to Canada is expensive. Huge... I can move to this commune instead. It's right down the road. Yeah, we, we, we've had this huge influx uh, since this fall of, mm -hmm. of new members, and, mm -hmm. and you know, they probably wouldn't all individually attribute them being here to, to Trump. But, right. you know, I, th I think there's a connection. I think, you know, when when the mainstream world looks insane, you know, something sort of like a, a safe, progressive little bubble seems sure. seems more appealing than, oh, yeah. than when the mainstream also, also looks sane and progressive. Right. Um, um, yeah. And so are you involved in, like, political activities that extend beyond your environs? Right. Me personally, not very much, but many Oakers are. So, um, you know, a whole lot of Oakers went to uh, the Women's March. Um, a bunch have gotten involved with a group called uh, Indivisible Louisa. So, you know, meeting with other leftists in Louisa. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess I've been a little bit involved in terms of, you know, calling Congress people. And I guess, you know, a lot of, of Twin Oakers are, are, are doing that. Um you know, a whole bunch of us just sent postcards to Trump, which I've been curious to hear. I haven't heard anything about what's come of that. Have you? Did you know about that whole thing? The postcards the to Ides whom? Of, yeah, the Ides of Trump. Does that ring a bell? No, I haven't heard about that. Okay, it, it was this thing, you know, that people were coordinating online of the idea of on March 15th, uh, you know, sort of everybody was supposed to send a postcard to Trump saying, you know, what they thought of the job he was doing. Oh, wow, um, interesting. Watch yeah. out, we're going to stab you. No, just kidding. Just, just kidding. <laughs> right, INS right. people. People have to be uh, careful CIA. to not say that. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Uh -huh. It's just a joke. So, you know, Twin Oakers collectively wrote 85 postcards. And, right. Um, nice. uh, 
Yeah, but and, and but so some oak roots, right, since the election have been very active and it's been it's sort of interesting and cool how it's sort of been different people. You know, there like there's always, you know, some oakers who who are the ones, you know, going to protests and right. um and but I think Trump's election sort of brought out, you know, some people who kind of hadn't been very politically active, uh, you know, be like, Oh my god, like I actually I have to do something now and right. uh sure, sure. That's, all, that's yeah. the case all over the country as well. So, um, yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yeah, yeah then yeah. in terms of like, okay, so children and education, um, let's start with the structure of schooling at Twin Oaks because, sure. I, you know, if you are there people who like that's their mainstay is like education and teaching? Uh, yeah, somewhat. So, um, um, let's see. So, so there's no, the community, uh, you know, says very little in terms of, you know, what needs to happen in terms of kids' education. You know, it's really mostly up to parents. And okay. so um, so there's always been the choice between uh, homeschooling or sending the kids to school. Right. Um, and, and that's sort of varied from generation to generation of kids. Like when I first moved here, uh, most of the kids were actually going to school in town. Okay. Um, and then those kids, you know, kind of grew up and left. And the, the next generation of kids, you know, the parents were, were interested in homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so right now, uh, I guess right now, all of the kids who live here full-time homeschool, there, there's two kids who, uh, whose mom is in Charlottesville and whose dad is here. And so they're mostly in Charlottesville with their mom and go to public school there. Right. Um, or, you know, they're just here on the weekends. Um, so, yeah, so all of the kids who are here full-time now are homeschooling. Yeah. Um, and when you're asking, like, if there are people who, you know, education is their particular thing. Part of why uh, all the kids are homeschooling right now is uh, we've got a couple people who are really passionate about teaching and are, are doing a whole lot of the teaching. Right. Um, and, and, oh, actually, you, you should check this out. This is my, my two very good friends, Adder and Keegan, who are doing a podcast called Commune Dads, oh, nice. which is the other podcast that I, I feel guilty about not managing to listen to because <laughs> yeah. my friends do it. As um, long as you feel guilty, anyway. that's important. <laughs> But yeah, you you should check this out sometime, Commune Dads. Um, But anyway, so Adder and Keegan are both, you know, really passionate about education and really good teachers. And and so uh, they're doing a a lot of the the teaching of a lot of the kids. Um, And so, but it's it's sort of like there's, well, I guess in school we have what we call a unicorn school, which is really more of sort of like a preschool daycare of uh, it happens uh, Monday through Friday morning, 9 to 12, you know, in, you know, one specific building that's sort of set up to be, you know, everything sort of kid-friendly. Um, and you know, it's usually like, you know, three adults and about six kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's more more sort of a preschool daycare kind of thing than, right. than a school. You know, they, I mean, I think they, you know, try and do some educational stuff, but that's not sort of like the main focus of it. Right. Um, and then the older kids, the ones who've sort of aged out of that, um, it's sort of just between the, the adults and the tutors to sort of schedule, uh, you know, so there's not really like a set school thing. Right. Um, it, it's sort of people who are interested in teaching particular subjects, working with, you know, between one and five kids at a time, you know, usually it's sort of set weekly times. So it's sort of like, Oh, this particular time is when Adder teaches, uh, you know, English to right. Sam, Anya, and Rachley. And, and this particular time is when uh, Keegan teaches Latin to Zadik. And, um, and and so, yeah, just all the different kids, you know, have have different tutors and sort of different combinations. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you know, through that whole system, like I feel like very happy with both of my kids are, are getting, you know, really good tutoring in, in the things I, I want them to be learning. Um, 
and, and not spending a huge amount of class time, which, which, which I like, you know, I think in, in sort of the public school system, you know, just the amount of the, the ratio of what you're actually able to learn, you know, was sort of like 30 to one kid to right. adult ratios right. and the amount of time you spend, you know, is, is very discouraging. And so, you know, in this sort of like very focused small group way, right. you know, neither of my kids spend a huge amount of time in class, right. you know, but I feel like they're getting, getting really good learning done. Sure, sure. Do they have to take standardized tests? I mean, there are certain Yeah, they, they, they do. Um, so at the end of every school year, um, I, mean, I mean, one thing that's interesting in, in Virginia is because of there being so many Christian homeschoolers, mm-hmm. um, the, the laws are very favorable to, mm-hmm. to homeschoolers. Um, so, you know, kind of all that I have to do to homeschool my kids is send a letter to the school board at the beginning of every year saying, you know, I intend to homeschool my kids. Right. Um, and then at the end of the year, I uh, have them do a, a standardized test, which which I order the test, I administer it to my kids, I send it back to be scored. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, you know, I've I've done the test straight and the kids, you know, do fine on them. But, you know, it's interesting how it is set up to be so favorable to homeschoolers in terms of, you know, there's there's absolutely nothing in the way of, you know, parents just taking the tests for their kids. Right, right. Um, so, so that's sort of, I mean, it's sort of interesting. It's like it's unusual, like trust thing. And, yeah, and, I was going to say, because when we administered the yeah. ACT recently, I, I almost had a panic attack because it's like you have to have, like they have a diagram of how much space must be between the testers and the desks oh, have wow. to be arranged this way and, and you have to snake the things. You have to start at one in the front left desk and then go back and then the next row over has to be back to front. And it's just so, oh it's so insane. <laughs> wow. All of these, wow. and, and like people take it so seriously because if if there's any like if somebody has a cell phone in the room, mm-hmm. you, it's you have to file an irregularity report. Everybody's scores might be nullified. Oh my god! It, the whole thing. Wow. And I understand why people take it so seriously because that number, yeah. you know, becomes yeah. whether they're going to get into the college of their choice or not, and whether they're going to get right. a certain scholarship or not. So there's all these ways in which the education. You know, I tell it to my students in terms of money and truth. Right. We're here because we need to be learning about life and how the world works and, you know, how language functions and all that. But you also need to get a job. And, you know, so so I understand you want the points and you want the money and you want the, you know, the numbers and the letters. But really, I'm much more focused on the truth and the meaning of life and all the rest of that. So I don't know. I wonder, do do the kids I mean, and this leads to the next question, like, do you get a sense of kids? you know, in infusing themselves with the values of the community? Is there resistance? To, are there kids who, do you have a rumspringer? Well, oh, this this is a very interesting question, right? Because, okay, till pretty recently, uh, all the kids who grew up here left, you know, it's, uh, right. most of them, you know, straight to college. Yeah. You know, a few of them chose not to do college and, you know, just went and, you know, did whatever else. But, you know, till pretty recently, when I say recently, I mean like five years ago or so, you know, it's just the assumption that a kid you know, attaining adulthood here would go somewhere else and do something else. Right. Uh, and then for the first time ever, we had a crop of kids who wanted to stay here. Hmm. Um, so we now have uh, two adult members uh, who, you know, went from being, you know, Twin Oaks kids to, you know, going through the whole adult membership process and becoming Twin Oaks members. They've never known and, and anything one... else. What? They've never known what? anything else. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and one kid who is staying here while attending community college. Um, and, and it's interesting because when these kids started doing this, 
you know, Ezra and I started having these talks with our kids. Mm-hmm. Of, of, we agreed and then with each other and then explained to them that they were not allowed to do that when, oh, when really? they reached 18, you know, that, that, they right? had, that they had to go somewhere else for a while. That, huh. you know, it could be college, it could be another community, it could right. be to live with a relative elsewhere, but that they had to go away and they huh. could come back eventually if they wanted to, but okay. that they weren't allowed to just go straight from being. So you are doing a rum springer. You want them to go out and see other parts of the world then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. And like I said, this is not the, the you know, the community, uh, you know, doesn't require this, you know, has right, allowed right. kids to go straight from being uh, Twin Oaks kids to Twin Oaks members. But right for Ezra, I mean, you know, we kind of feel like, you know, if you grow up in a 100 person village, like, you know, you really should see more of the world. You just drop them off in the South Bronx and just be like, good luck, kids. See you later. Like, wait, what? I mean, I, I, mean, I do, like, one thing that is a big value to both Ezra and me is having kids who are able to negotiate, you know, the world outside of the community well. And so, you know, we bring them to Charlottesville, you know, every couple of weeks, Richmond probably about once a month, mm-hmm. uh, D.C. a couple times a year, and New York and Chicago each at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, they're familiar with subways and, right. you know, stores and, you know, sure. traffic and all that. And, yeah. you know, kind of with this idea of, you know, as they get older and older, you know, giving them more and more independence in those environments and having them learn to comfortably negotiate those yeah. environments, too. Oh, totally, totally. Um, I, I don't know that I have anything else I wanted to talk about. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your perspectives and thoughts. And, of course, it's awesome to hear from you. Um, yeah. I wonder if there's anything else that's been on your mind lately or things that you uh, wanted to talk about? In this no, no, I, th- I think I think wrapping up is good, actually, because it's past my snack time. So. Oh, well, there you go. We don't <laughs> want to get into the snack time. Um, so so the, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, as we end the show, is there a certain song that you would want to hear or that you want to play at the end of this conversation? Oh, oh, that's what a fun, right, right. We, you know, music being such a big thing in our lives, that's, that's a good one. Um, okay, well, I, I was thinking actually of the CD that I associated with, maybe with you and were were you and Josh telling roommates your first year? Not at, roommates, uh, but we spent a lot of time hanging out. So okay, there there was this CD, uh, a, a Ten Thousand Maniac CD. It was like a like a EP or something. It was just like four songs, um, and I think it had uh, the song "These Are Days." Anyway, I associated it with. Like with with you, Josh, that that cohort. Like I borrowed it from somebody. It sounds like it wasn't you. Maybe it was Josh. Sure. Um, from from somebody in that first semester that you know we were all hanging out together all the time. And and it's a song about how you know, like these are the greatest days that we're having right now. And right. and that that feels a little ironic right now in terms of sort of the the, the bigger political picture. Um, but yeah, I guess I just I associate that song with with. Uh, with our, our time of first getting to know each other at New College. Absolutely. I'll play that. And thank you so much okay. again, Mala, for the conversation. <laughs> so good to talk to you, Eric. Yeah, it's good to talk to you too, Mala. Thanks a lot.
on or are we about to go on? Well, or? actually, I don't record it live, so I'm doing the okay. recording now, and then I'll, I'll do it. Okay, and then you'll just edit it. Okay. I'll edit just this part it. way out, yeah. Although yeah. people might be curious to know about your breakfast, so. So powerful.